This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterlin. I'm your host, and we are on to another episode. Today, my guest is Brooke Braylove. She is a licensed clinical social worker, psychotherapist, advanced accelerated resolution therapist practitioner. She is also a certified sex therapist and certified Daring Way facilitator. And she specializes in treating adults, couples, and groups with depression, anxiety, and relationship challenges. So today, Brooke is specifically going to talk about accelerated resolution therapy, a form of psychotherapy with its roots in existing evidence-based therapies such as EMDR, but shown to achieve benefits much more rapidly, usually within one to five sessions. So we're going to have a discussion about that, what that is, what that looks like for clients and how it can help clients deal with trauma, depression, anxiety, and really dealing with those distressing memories and images that are stored in our brain, but trigger a lot of strong physical and emotional reactions. A very interesting conversation, and I think you'll get a lot out of it. And if you're getting a lot out of the Addictive Mind podcast, please rate and review us in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. That really does help the podcast get found. I really appreciate the reviews and it's definitely awesome to see a new review pop up. It really does help keep me going that everyone out there is getting a lot out of the Addictive Mind podcast and it's really helpful. So I appreciate it for all of you that have done that. Thank you so much. And you can follow us on Instagram. Just go to Instagram and type in Addicted Mind Podcast and click follow. All right, stay tuned for this episode. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of The Addicted Mind. I have Brooke Braylove, and we're going to talk about something very specific, which I'm kind of excited about. We're going to talk about Advanced Accelerated Resolution Therapy, or ART, and how that can help with trauma. And so, so many people, especially in addiction, deal with trauma, traumatic memories, traumatic feelings, and often that exacerbates addiction and makes it worse because those are painful things to have and we want to find some way out of it. So Brooke's going to talk about this technique and, and what it is and how it works. And so Brooke, jump in, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about you, and then we're going to jump into this. Sure. First of all, thanks so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. So my name is Brooke Braylove. I'm a licensed clinical social worker in Bethesda, Maryland. I've been in private practice for uh, 20 years, and I specialize in working with adults, couples, groups, and trauma work. My background actually is in domestic violence, post-grad school, I did uh, two years in a domestic violence support center working with women and children who've been impacted by domestic violence. So that was pretty good training ground for a lot of trauma work, obviously. 
Yeah, I would I would imagine there is a ton of trauma there. Yeah, a ton. And intergenerational, as I'm sure you would would predict. Yeah. And so, you know, I started my private practice and I was kind of doing general depression, anxiety, relationship issues. And then I'd been in therapy off and on for much of my life and regular talk therapy. And I had a really traumatic breakup in 2016. And I was doing my regular therapy. I tried several different modalities and I just couldn't kind of move on. And someone mentioned this thing called art. And I said, well, I have nothing to lose. And so I did two sessions myself and I got better right away. And what had been really traumatic for me, things that were sticking in my mind that I could not move on from, get rid of the, you know, the, the thoughts, the, the images almost disappeared And so one of my favorite things is in accelerated resolution therapy, we say, keep the knowledge, lose the pain. So it's important to understand that you're never going to forget the facts of what have happened to you. You know, what's happened to you, that's that's not really the goal. Why would we want that? We our experience is our experience and it shapes and molds us. But we can get rid of the distressing images and sensations that are associated with that trauma. Can you talk a little bit like when you say that imagery or sensations, what does that really mean for someone who has trauma? What does that look like? And Mm -hmm. how does someone experience that? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, memory is a funny thing, right? And especially with trauma. And what we find is that every time someone talks about a memory or focuses on a memory, it can change the memory. and what happens is in art, I mean, sort of, I'll I'll take one step back maybe and just sort of say kind of what art is, because I jumped right in. But so art is an evidence-based treatment modality that uses rapid eye movement and voluntary image replacement to change the way the brain stores distressing images and sensations. So that's the gist of it. And, you know, most people know what EMDR is now. Art kind of came out of EMDR. The creator of art, Lainey Rosenzweig, who's a brilliant, brilliant woman, did a you know an EMDR training in 2008 and kind of thought to herself, hmm, I think I can tweak this a little bit. And then, you know, dedicated her life to discovering art and shaping it. And it's her baby. And it's really a a beautiful thing. And, you know, I think that it's important to understand that obviously we're learning so much more about how trauma is stored in the body and the brain. And Most of us know, most trauma survivors know that some of them have talked about it in therapy for, you know, five years, 10 years, 20, 30 years, right? And some of them don't necessarily, I mean, they may improve, but they don't feel like they can actually let go and move on. And that's what art helps with. It really gets you unstuck. And for a lot of us, you know, with PTSD, 
There's flashbacks. You know, you get triggered, right? So you have these like, in, in yeah, you, you have these intrusive thoughts that kind of these memories or these feelings that just keep revisiting you over and over again in different ways or they pop up in different parts of your life that just cause distress. Yes. Or a memory that you you seem to just recall over and over again that just keeps popping into your brain and it has some a distressing emotion attached to it that they just get stuck in the in the body and the brain and and it's kind of like on a feedback loop and it makes a lot of sense why people if you can't get out of that distress you may go to things that aren't healthy for you addiction you know as as one example behaviors you know all, all sorts of things food sex whatever Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's important to understand that my job as an art therapist is to meet people where they are. So someone might come in and say, you know, I've talked about my childhood abuse for 20 years. I I, I don't want to talk about it anymore. And the beauty right. of art is there you actually don't have to talk about it at all. I can actually help someone without knowing the specifics of their trauma. And that is revolutionary, in my opinion, because what you're doing is you're taking people who have been re-traumatized by talking about it over and over again, right? You know, yeah. we're not we're not doing exposure therapy. We are not traumatizing them through the actual therapy. We're going to set them free from it. Because yeah. the only thing they have to do is imagine it in their mind. And, of course, that is triggering to them. But the negative sensations don't usually last very long at all. I mean, I can have someone in my office who's having a full-blown panic attack. And as we use the eye movements, which are calming, they are associated with a calming response in the brain. Within two, three minutes, they can be completely relaxed, smiling. And, you know, a couple minutes before, they wanted to run out of my office. And so the right. change is rapid. It, it really is. And so I think what's important is when I say I meet people where they are. So someone comes in and says, you know, I've childhood abuse and I, I, I hate that it keeps showing up. And then they'll say, you know, every time there's a TV show where they mention, you know, anything bad happening to a child, I have flashbacks, I start sweating, I hyperventilate, I have to leave the room, I feel panicky, all these, right, body sensations. And so that person is being re-triggered. And so that's mm -hmm. where we will start sometimes. Let's help you not have that same body response to the trigger. And so, for instance, I've, I, there was a school shooting, unfortunately, in D.C. about a year ago. And I had people come in almost immediately after the shooting. And, you know, a few days later, they were jumping at every, you know, loud noise. Sure, yeah. Of, of course. And, you know, I did one to two sessions with them and then they just never jumped again. They, they just lost it. And again, of course, they had the facts that just happened to them. But they were not kind of 
close to it emotionally or or having those same body responses. And that is freedom. Right. Because you, you're not caught in those really panic states or anxiety states or or fear states, the way in which the the brain and the body hold those memories together. I think what you were kind of alluding to earlier was that you start to separate those responses. So they're not stored in the same way. And we can kind of shift that. And if they're stored differently, our body responds differently to these recalled these recalled moments. And we know that emotion and memory go together because that's how we form memories is by emotion. We we don't have emotion, we don't form a memory around it. We have to have right. an emotion to form a memory. So these things get linked. And so unlink them in a different way. I, I hear that's kind of what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we do unlink them. And again, this this whole notion of sort of there, art is really creative. And so we use metaphors and, you know, a lot of imagery so that the person can imagine how they wish things had gone. And we store that in the brain. So that's the sort of, they voluntarily come up with images and then those get stored. And I think it's important to understand, I mean, obviously we are talking so much more about bilateral brain stimulation, whether it's tapping, whether it's grounding techniques where you're going right. left foot, right foot. And so this is is the same thing. And we don't know 100% what goes into that, but we know eye movements are calming to the brain. And we also know that rapid eye movement obviously mimics what goes on during REM sleep when memories are consolidated. And so you're basically kind of replicating that while you are awake and able to make changes to your memory. Again, not the facts, just what you want, the images you want to hold on to. And then also you've got, you know, the two sides of the brain talking to each other in a way that doesn't happen in trauma. When we are triggered, our brains are the left side and right side are not talking to each other. You know, you're offline in a lot of ways. Your parasympathetic nervous system is completely shut down. And so we're activating that and having these two hemispheres talk to each other. And that's what creates the change. And what you're saying Two is like, it's not the same as like when you look at like standard talk therapy, where we're just going to talk about it. You're doing these other techniques with the with the eye movement where the body sensations and being able to kind of pull them apart without I want to say without logic, that's what comes to my brain without lot like, sometimes like we can know logically that this reaction doesn't make sense for the situation we're in. But it doesn't matter. Right. We, Even if yeah, we, know we can't control that. I mean, we can't control that. So, yeah, it's like it's 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 coming from a different way, a different direction. Yeah. And, you know, I love that you said sort of not logical because. I can't even describe how many people who have done art in my office and they use the word magic. They do because that's what it feels like. And sometimes the change happens so rapidly that they kind of say, like, what just happened? I, I 
what just happened here? You know, and it, it gives it so funny. I always get goosebumps when I talk about art because I, I feel the change. I see it in front of my eyes in a way that really I haven't been able to in my career. So it's incredibly gratifying for me and a lot of the other art therapists around the world. It's incredibly gratifying to help someone so rapidly. I mean, there's really nothing yeah. like it. Right. To, to be able to help someone so, so fast and to be able to see that change. And that's what people are thinking. And I, I think we're understanding the brain more now than we ever have. And we're realizing some of these trauma things are, you can't just talk about it. You you have to incorporate the body into this work that these these are intertwined. Yeah. And, and you can't you, you, think your way out of a panic attack when you watch a show that's triggering. You cannot think your way out of that. Your body takes over and it's meant to, right? Fight, flight, or freeze. I mean, that's how we're designed. But you don't want to do that when you're watching a TV show. You want to do that when there's a bear in front of you. Right, ex exactly. And then oftentimes I see is when people do get stuck in that that thought loop, the, the thought loop, as they're trying to think their way out of the problem is actually making the problem worse. It's like compounding it. Their, their own rumination is now cementing this as dangerous, even though they're trying to think their way out of it. Like, I don't know if that makes sense. Like if mm -hmm. you, if you see that as well, and then mm -hmm. it leads to even, I want to say like a more locked in response, mm -hmm. a more like cemented trauma response, because the thinking itself kind of leads to more, cementing this this feeling in yeah yeah it it definitely i i think gets even more stuck and this is sort of what we're trying to do is is help people just get unstuck and you know i i want to you know obviously you deal mostly with addiction but you know traumas are quite interrelated but art works on almost every single thing someone would come to therapy for. And at first, when I got trained, I thought, okay, this is trauma. It's got to be just for big T trauma. And of course, I see a lot of that. But, you know, it'll just kind of stay in that lane. Not at all. It works on phobias, anxiety, depression, relationship issues. Clearly, for me, a traumatic breakup, grief. It works on body image, eating disorders, you name it. And I've had success, chronic pain, chronic illness. It's just amazing. And so it's so exciting that I, I can pull this out of my hat. And it, it just allows me to feel sort of more like a competent therapist. I still do a ton of talk therapy and I love talk therapy. But when I can see that there's something stuck and this person has worked really hard on it already, I may incorporate some art into their treatment. And then I also right. see people who simply come to me for art after a car accident or, you know, and, and, and again, what's so fascinating is that the way it presents as sort of magical, for instance, I had a, a, a patient who had had a, an accident, you know, an incident where she had hurt her toe about two years ago, and she'd been dealing with chronic pain in her toe every day for two years. We did one 60 minute session where we 
basically went, you know, we, we kind of dealt with that injury. And that was seven months ago. And from that moment, she's never had, she's never had a moment of pain since then. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense to me, especially now with some of the research around chronic pain and understanding that chronic pain is stored in the same area of the brain as anxiety, that those two are very, very interconnected, anxiety and chronic pain, and that some of this pain, you know, by being able to change those neural pathways, yeah, it takes some of the, uh, what, what would you call it, the neuroplastic pain, not the structural pain, but the neuroplastic pain, it changes that. So your body's not sending that pain signal anymore because it doesn't really need to. Right. And you you get out of that loop. What's yeah. interesting about that, and I'll, and, and I'll transition that into, you know, that emotional pain or psychic pain, I think it's very much in the uh, the same way that we turn off these signals that don't need, we don't need anymore. Right. They're not serving us anymore. Right. And so we're we're able to shift that mm-hmm. or change it or turn it off or I guess, yeah, different words to, yeah. to say that. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, I mean, it, it's also used for art can be used for more subtle things. Like I had a patient who has she was in her 50s. And since she the, as you know, far back as she can remember, every time she's looked in the mirror, she's said incredibly negative things to herself about, you know, her body and her worth. We did one 60 minute session on body image. And for three months or so, I mean, I talked to her three months later, she never had one negative thought when she looked in the mirror. Now, it doesn't mean we won't have to work on that again at some point. I cannot tell you that will last for the rest of her life, but it's a pretty good start. Right. It slowly starts to change that. So another question I was thinking about was the difference between some of this pain that's very obvious, like you said, you know, war or a car crash or an assault of some kind. Like it's very obvious that this was the incident that cause this trauma. And then traumas that aren't quite so apparent, sometimes we don't actually realize we're having trauma, if that makes sense. These more complex, complex PTSD, that's what I'm really talking about. And how you combine the talk therapy with the art therapy to be able to kind of get to those memories, to be able to understand, like, what what am I actually What's actually happening for me? Yeah. So I can attack it, so to speak. Yeah, this is a a great question because I think a lot of people come to therapy with kind of vague senses, feelings that something wasn't quite right in their childhood, for instance, but, you know, they can't point to one thing, just like you said, they can't point to a big T trauma, but they're not very successful in relationships or they get in their own way of their progress. And again, it's that felt sense that, you know, either something happened or I I don't understand, you know, I had parents who provided for me and that, you know, I had food and I got a good education and all of this. And so art can really help, obviously talking about it, but also art can really help because it's really been good for childhood neglect, right? Which we don't, I mean, 
and I'm not talking about the neglect that is, you know, I stayed home for a week by myself and I had no food. I'm talking more about the benign neglect, the neglect of, you know, my parents didn't see me. They didn't know me. They didn't ask me about my inner world, my feelings. I couldn't express anger, you know, all sorts of things. Right. right? The invisible, that- invisible neglect. It's not, it's, it's so much can just be missed. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's really good for for people who are struggling with that, because what we do first is, you know, we ha- I'll have them talk to me, you know, maybe about that. And then I'll ask them in talk therapy, you know, where do you feel that in your body? And then when we can tell that it is in their body, then doing an art session where we have them work on that felt sense and maybe put it in a metaphor or who knows what we do with it, but we work it through in a way where then if their partner doesn't return their text and they start going into that fear-based, you know, I'm neglected, they don't know me, they don't see me, they don't have the same response anymore. Right. Right. It's, it's like, it's not the, it's, it, it shifts that, that piece and they can feel a little more, they don't feel that pain, pain as much. And they can feel empowered that they're not going to go down the rabbit hole of, you know, the physical sensations, the shutting down. And I mean, fight, flight and freeze don't feel good in the body. (laughs) Right. So just to have the relief, I mean, they might have a, you know, a tinge of ouch or I wish he would text me back, but they're not going to go down that rabbit hole of feeling re-traumatized in the same way. Right. The debilitating, I guess the strong debilitating feelings that then really stop you from functioning in your life. You can, you can pull that out. doesn't mean you don't feel anything, Mm -hmm. but the, the feelings aren't yeah, they aren't so overwhelming that they they paralyze you. Yeah. And I think this is a, an interesting point. And, you know, a lot of people will say things to me like, I just hate that I react to seeing my mother-in-law. And I usually say something like, you know, or that I automatically get anxious when I see my mother-in-law. And I'll say, you know, I don't know that the goal is not to have an automatic response. Maybe that's just not going to happen for you or or anyone, frankly. But what about recognizing it and being resilient to it and increasing the speed at which you can move through it? Maybe that's a more realistic goal because otherwise we're just angry at ourselves for having an automatic response. It's called automatic for a reason. We can't necessarily help it. So I really believe that we have to be, you know, be more realistic about what we're trying to change. If, if the only way I know I'm better is when I see my mother-in-law and I'm in a Zen place, I'm going to be waiting a very long time. But if I say to myself, oh, oh, I feel that little spot in my chest, I'm going to breathe or I'm going to do some tapping or I'm going to do some eye movements and I'm going to be resilient to that signal. Right. And and, and then be able to move through it or, or get the information you need from it, that feeling, if it's telling something you need to know. And but not staying in the I, I don't even want to have this feeling. I don't even want to experience it because I have all these judgments about that feeling that may lead to other feelings that are uncomfortable. 
but being able to like, yeah, like you said, being resilient to it. I, I like that idea because yeah, then you can use your emotions as tools, not necessarily your emotions, like just pushing you around, pushing you all over the place and you're just reacting to them. Yeah. I mean, I really think our judgment of our feelings is is really the main issue, right? Which is if we can just allow ourselves, even when it's incredibly uncomfortable, you know, to just say, oh, okay, this is where I am. That, you know, that acceptance of this is where I am in this moment right now. And I have to allow it. Obviously, you know, we know that what you resist persists. And I mean, it's just true. So if you shut it down and you squash it down, it has to come out somewhere. And then you're looking at more things like addictions and eating disorders, right? Because we all need coping mechanisms. Hopefully we can choose some more positive ones, but a lot of people with trauma aren't able to do that yet. They have to learn how. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it starts to be a, a skill set that we can, we can grow and get, and get better at. So I have one question because you, mm-hmm. you mentioned EMDR mm-hmm. earlier. And for people that don't know what EMDR stands for, it's eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing, which is pretty standard for trauma treatment. It's also mm-hmm. evidence-based. Mm-hmm. Now art also uses eye movement. Mm-hmm. So how do those things differ? What's different between mm-hmm. EMDR and art? Yeah. So obviously this is a central thing because when you're looking for treatment, you want to kind of know, you know, what the differences are and what might work best for you. So one of the main differences is that art has a very step-by-step protocol that we follow. So Things are predictable. They're often repeated. If you've done one session, you know, it's you'll pretty much know what's going to happen in the next session. And so I think that allows people to feel more calm because there's not a lot of surprises and you're not going to kind of go off in one direction, even though you started working on one problem and now you're, you know, off, off doing something else. And the other thing is that art does kind of rescripting of the client's, you know, scene that they're working on. And we actually, Lainey Rosenzweig has used the term positization. So we don't just rescript it, we make it positive for them. And then that's what gets stored. EMDR often focuses more on, you know, core beliefs and feelings, and art uses images and sensations. So that's, you know, a pretty big difference. And the other thing is that uh, art is usually faster. Usually problems, you know, can be resolved in one to five sessions. I think the average is 2.7 sessions. And, you know, EMDR can be a little bit more lengthy, but obviously they're both amazing treatments and you have to figure out, you know, kind of what works best for you. Right. Yeah, definitely. And what I would say is that, you know, what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for another. So if it's not working, go try something else. Don't give up. Keep going. So just to make sure I understand, it sounds like in a way you take this positive, these these imagery that someone may have about an event and you're able to create a, a, a more of a positive emotion 
associated with that imagery. And so you're replacing that response with something else through this protocol so that now this uh, event or memory or thought now actually brings up a different kind of emotional state. That, and, that's and exactly that right. That, and that gives you relief in that sense, and which is really exciting. And, you know, we see that, I think, in what we're beginning to understand about the brain and how we form memories and stuff we didn't even know about 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, no, it's very which is pretty exciting. amazing. So yeah. we don't, you know, it's kind of like we don't have to go back to do you know, like five years of talk therapy, sitting on a couch, saying the same thing over and over again. We can move right to what we need to, to be able to get that relief and function better in our life. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like a laser pointer. You know, it's like, well, all these other things, you know, I can talk around and around and around, but this is something I, you know, I'm struggling with and we just go right at it. And I, I do want to give an example of that idea of the sort of positization that then gets stored in the brain. I had a patient who had carried around a lot of guilt that she was unable to be with her brother when he died in the hospital. And so each time she's thought about him, she gets very upset, teary, feels guilty, feels ashamed. And and so we did an art session where, again, she decided how she wanted to change the images. And her entire face just lit up at the end of that session. And about a month later, she said, you know, when I used to think of my brother, I would cry. And now I'm flooded with a positive, you know, feeling in my body and I smile. And that's just the way it is now for her. And that's amazing because now that memory brings so much. I mean, although there's still, I'm sure there's grief and loss, mm -hmm. but it, it's different. It has a different, it also has that component of joy and those other positive feelings with that mm -hmm. doesn't mean that there's not grief or loss, but that's not the dominating. Right. Right. Because that's... it wasn't really the grief and loss that she was focused on when she would think about him. It was her own guilt and shame. And so yeah. now she can actually access, I think, the more important parts of the grief and move through them yeah, well because said. her guilt and shame isn't in the way anymore. Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. That that's really well said and it's a really important point to make. I like that because yeah, she that those kind of feelings get those feelings out of the way so that they can connect to that. Yeah, those those uh, the, the other meaningful part of all of grief and loss because that that shame and guilt is is no longer dominating the the picture. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wow. So, tell me a little bit about like what do you like about using art in your practice and what impact have you seen with people as you do this, this work? And, and what does that mean to you? Yeah. I mean, again, I, I always say, I know I, I sound like a snake oil salesman. I, I really get it. I, it sounds a little crazy, but the joy I feel in my practice is it is truly the most exciting thing I've ever done in 20 years. It brings me tremendous hope for all of our ability to, to help patients. 
go get trained in accelerated resolution therapy. And what's so important is it's not just great for our patients. It's great for us because as a trauma therapist, we have to absorb a lot of really difficult stories, right? We are impacted by them day in, day out. And with art, you don't have to actually hear a lot of details about the trauma. So you're not going to burn out in the same way. And so I feel more rejuvenated. I feel more excited. I have more energy in my practice. It brings a variety that I love so that I'm not simply, you know, just doing one exact type of therapy. And so I think it is tremendous for clinicians too. I think it will really change the way you practice. And again, whether you see someone who's only coming to you for art or whether somebody comes in who you've been seeing for 10 years and you help them move some difficult sensations because they had a car accident before they came in and they're dysregulated. So we can use it, you know, as standalone or to augment. And the other thing that I love, I love coordinating and working with other therapists because they'll call me and say, you know, I've been working with this person for 10 years. Our therapy is wonderful. We have a great rapport, but there's this one piece, you know, could I, could I send the patient to you? And I go, perfect. You don't have to stop your therapy. You don't have to do anything different. Come give it a try. You know, maybe you need one session, maybe you need a few, and then you go right back and keep doing your work. So it really also gives other therapists a a place to refer to, you know, people to refer to when they themselves are frustrated and stuck with a patient, along with the patient being frustrated and stuck. Right. And, and, and when you, when you're, your client is is stuck there. It, you, it's like you, you don't know how to. You can see the roadblock, but you don't know how to help them get around it. And they can kind of see that there's a roadblock there in in whatever they're working on, and that it's not moving forward. <laughs> and something like this can can help shift that roadblock and and maybe move them in a different state where then they can continue their ther- continue on that journey of therapy and self development and goal setting and doing all that kind of other stuff. So Yeah, it's almost and again I you know it's very similar to what we said a couple minutes ago, which is it sort of can get out of the way something that is blocking the person from growing into exactly who they were meant to be. It's this big boulder and in just a few sessions you can just move that boulder out of the way. And it's not that their life becomes perfect in any way, shape, or form. It's that the boulder's not there anymore. It's a tiny pebble, you know, a hundred yards away now. Yeah, it's not so big. It doesn't dominate everything. So we're we're kind of running out of time here. Thank you so much for coming on to the Addicted Mind. I'd like to ask one question before we go. And that's if someone's out there struggling or maybe has a huge boulder in front of them and they don't know what to do, what would you want to tell them? What would you want to say? Mm -hmm. There's hope. There's real hope. And there's accelerated treatment to help you. And that go to artworksnow.com. You can search by state to find art practitioners all around the world. And you can heal and you can get better. 
Awesome. And where can people find you if they want to connect with you? Sure. They can go to my website, brookebraylove.com. And I'm on Instagram, brookebraylove psychotherapy, uh, Facebook, TikTok. You can find me. Uh, awesome. Thank you so much, Brooke, for coming on to the Addicted Mind podcast. I appreciate you just sharing your wisdom, your knowledge, and, and giving people a, another resource if they're struggling. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. As usual, all the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com. So check them out. And if you enjoyed this episode, think about sharing it with a friend and click the subscribe button. All right, everyone. Have a wonderful day. And I will talk to you on the next episode. It's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.